If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next Chimera encounter is going to be far more multifaceted, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to what few elements are critical to making a basic monster more interesting. And can the Chimera become something to inspire legendary levels of fear? And what happens when you turn Jordan loose on the monster manual? Good things. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. For those of you that think that my voice sounds a little off, it's because my whole face is clogged with snot. <laughs> Allergies are hitting me hard. I'm a little nasally. Sorry, well, everyone. Around this time of year, he just turns into a giant booger. Yeah. Yeah. And so audio <laughs> is definitely my best format. <laughs> Makes sense. So today we're talking about chimeras. Yes, they're one of the oldest monsters that I know of from old timey Greek legends told around the campfire. <laughs> For some reason, I don't. Okay, A, does anybody tell stories about a chimera around a campfire? And B, old timey sounds like old Westy, not old Greeky. I don't, I don't know who associates like, oh, it's an old timey folktale. Nobody thinks Greece <laughs> when you say that. Both before I was born, that's all that matters. <laughs> anything prior to your birth is old timey yes and when telling this tale around the campfire you would talk about the chimera's snake butt and <laughs> lion body and the goat that was fused onto the lion's back this definitely has that kind of old timey feel in the sense that it really wasn't all that terrifying at the time yes it was very much so and it was one of the, I think, one of the original Greek monsters because they did a lot of improvements with things like the Hydra and the, uh, what's the three-headed dog? Cerberus. Yeah, Cerberus. Cerberus is more terrifying to me than a goat bleeding in my face. <laughs> and that's B-L-E-A-T, not bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got it. I mean, it does have that kind of aspect to it. When I think of a chimera, you know, it's kind of like... um ray harryhausen you know he was the stop motion animator that was very very popular in the you know the 50s and 60s for monster movies you know it's got that like yeah kind of stilted movement but really really impressive like you have to pay your respects because he was like the godfather of stop motion monsters in in film like he was the dude that popularized that and made it possible. But you watch those movies nowadays, like turn on, say, Jason and the Argonauts. It's not the kind of like horror inspiring thing that we are used to today. Right. So you're saying the Chimera is the godfather of monsters, but on its own, <laughs> it needs a little beefing up. I mean, it's a fucked up child's drawing. It's <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't it wasn't incredibly skilled. Yeah, so it just it doesn't really inspire that level of fear that you kind of want 
when you drop a monster onto the table. Yeah. So you're saying we got to build some tension towards this monster. We got to make it intimidating and scary and just make it actually pose an interesting threat to the party. Right. Yeah. If you just take this monster and you drop it into a field like a random encounter, it is just a bag of hit points. That can fly. That can fly. It's got really great action economy because it can make three attacks in a turn. And so really beyond that, like it's not it's not got a lot more going on for it. Right. Some fire breath, some flight. Those tactics will get stale after a couple of passes. Yeah. And then you also have that like suspension of disbelief with this three headed ding dong of a monster. <laughs> you can tell I'm not I'm not a huge fan of yeah. the Chimera. Travis doesn't like the most things sewn together animals <laughs> effect of a Chimera. Yeah. Like pick a lane decide on a theme and stick with it and really like use it to its full potential but dragon head that isn't as smart as a dragon lion head and and idiot goat on the side is just it doesn't inspire a lot of fear in me so maybe we can figure out how to fix this in the kinship camp this is kinship camp where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventures around the safety of the fire. All right, let's start with a recap of the Chimera, the monster presented in D&D. It is chaotic evil. It's got 114 hit points. It's got a fly speed of 60 feet, so that's interesting. That makes it a little bit more unique. Without getting too deep into the numbers, its high stats are strength and constitution, which means it hits hards and, and it takes a lot of hits. And then everything else, all of the rest of its stats are pretty pretty average. It's one standout is that it's got a really high perception and a passive perception of 18, which means it knows you're coming. Yeah. Then you get into its actions. It's got the multi-attack. It can bite, hit you with its horns or its claws, which I think it's kind of interesting that they worked in this like the bite does piercing, the horns do bludgeoning, and the claws do slashing, even though, I mean, I'm not super familiar with every rule, but I feel like as a character, you're not really like, I'm going to defend against slashing with this character. Yeah, I really don't have <laughs> a lot of that into my build. Yeah. Nor do I build. <laughs> I just make a just character. Play. But yeah, I think you're right. That is a lot more relevant to the monsters. Yeah. Than it is to the players. This is kind of a weird choice unless you're playing a Chimera. But then it's also got the Fire Breath, which needs a recharge. So it's not doing this all the time, but 15 foot cone blasts you with fire. And it's helpful that it's got some range. Yeah. But only 15 feet worth of it. Yeah. It's still got to get very <laughs> yeah. close. Yeah. It's not, not got a ton of range. So you've got this like creature that melees. And that's the main problem that I have with a Chimera is that. You got to get up and close. All it does is fight and it's got some hit points and it deals some damage. But like if we just run it as is, then it's got not a lot of awe. <laughs> All right. You've made your point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't right. like yeah. the chimera. <laughs> I got it. All right. I'll tone it down. So let's just open this up a little bit. What works with the chimera? Well, something that isn't really written into it, but I think it's really powerful is its unpredictability. And I guess this would stem from its chaotic evil alignment, focusing on the chaos. When I'm looking at this thing, I'm seeing three animals 
with three completely different drives and sets of instincts. I mean, imagine being attached to your two best friends by the neck. How well would that go over the course of a day? Oh, that would go so poorly. <laughs> and we're not talking about your friends. We're talking about a goat, a lion, and a dragon. Those... And not just attached for a day. They grew up together. <laughs> they fucking hate each other. Yeah, this is their lives. And who knows, maybe not grown up together in a nice idyllic childhood, but fused <laughs> together as adults. Who knows how this Monstrously, thing... yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, if you think about that, they're going to have different sleeping schedules, different hunting tactics. This thing's always going to be tired and cranky. It's going to be doing totally unpredictable things. A lion might pounce on you and bite into you, but this thing is going to fly down, pounce. The goat head is going to bleat on its way. It's going to do three flips because all three are trying to <laughs> like take control of its form as it swipes at you and flies away. And there is going to be no discernible pattern yeah. to any of this. So players thinking that they can figure out the tactics of a chimera are in for a horrible surprise. Yeah, they should be struggling on that. Then we get into the mythology, which I think is a huge part of it, too. And clearly, there's a lot more than we're going to cover here. But there's a legend of a hero, Bellerophon. Yeah. He's the one that did Doth slain the Chimera. <laughs> is that Greek speak? Uh, <laughs> that's close enough-ish. Yeah. The basic points are that there was this king that was probably real jealous of Bellerophon because... He uh, learned to ride Pegasus, for one, and he probably had ripped abs. Well, just baller move, you yeah. know, taming Pegasus. Yeah. He's also the son of Poseidon, I believe. And so the king, he thinks, well, I don't like this guy. I want people to worship me instead of him, so let's send him against an unkillable beast. So he says, hey, Bellerophon, do you want to kill the chimera for me? It's invincible, by the way. I like that just anybody can like throw down the gauntlet to anybody else. Like, not like, <laughs> hey, let's fight, but hey, you should go, you know, try and kick the ass of this invincible monster. Yeah. And then Bellerophon, for some reason, has to be like, okay, Greek stories are all about the trials. Like, the you had to do three trials. I have to, I'm compelled. Why? Who is holding a gun to your head and saying you have to go kill the Chimera? Well, I think it's like uh, they're the celebrities of the day, right? Huh. It's like, do you want to keep your hero status? Do you want to stay in Hollywood? Well, you got to make some good movies. You got to kill some <laughs> got it. badass okay. beasts. Fair enough. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. You got to go make some stories. Yeah. Yeah. Quit laying around. You can't just milk it. <laughs> so anyways, he gets up to this thing, starts hailing arrows down on it like he always does. A little bit of an aerial sky battle. Realizes that he can't puncture its hide with his arrows. Because it's invincible. So he has to get creative. But Hold on. Bellerophon's kind of a punk. What kind of impressive combat is that? Like, I know that he eventually... I know where the story's going. But <laughs> just to, like, sit on Pegasus and rain arrows at your target? Yeah. Heroic equivalent of, like, early Greek drone strikes. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not a magical battle. That's kind of a... A punk way to do battle. Yeah, and I think I think that's what had happened up to that point. He was against foes that didn't have wings. So he'd literally <laughs> just pick them off. Just Done. pick them off. Got this one, no problem. How cool am I? Actually, it's the flying horse that's cool. <laughs> yeah. You're an asshole. <laughs> but yeah, so this one was a bit tougher because it does have the wings. It can't be pierced. 
So he has to get creative. So he puts a block of lead on the tip of his spear so that when he gets up close, he jams it down the chimera's throat as it's trying to breathe fire on him and melts it, lodges it right in its throat, stops it from breathing. Now, what I think is truly wild about that solution to this problem is that he's got a snake breathing through his butt and he's got a goat breathing on his back. <laughs> so we're, we're pointing out the logical flaw of stopping up one of its throat holes yeah only for it to like i can't breathe and die and somehow forget that it has two more mouths yeah i guess <laughs> like you think if you make a, a creature a monster that's biggest thing is having three throats that that's not its <laughs> the way to kill it kind of its main focal point and what makes it a monster in the first place <laughs> yeah but sure bellerophon go for it <laughs> oh the size of that plot hole so the other thing that i think that we can improve on the chimera is to make it more monstrous to really play that aspect up because again on the face it's not it doesn't strike me as intimidating it's a weird you know, child's drawing. Or maybe a puzzle that the child put together wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Combined three separate <laughs> puzzles and just jammed, you know, forced all of the little puzzle pieces to fit together. Yeah. You know, like, you didn't do this right. So how do we lean into something that makes it more monstrous? And I think that we can, you know, really play up the three different types of heads that it has. Talk about, like, what noises each one of those heads make and are they all combined into one terrifying noise that nobody can really pin down where does it live you know like a goat does it live high up in the mountains and we're gonna we're gonna have the heroes our players walk all the way up a mountain past all of the bodies of this thing that it's left behind all the viscera just dripping on all of the rocks because they're on this death march to this intimidating cave. Yeah. And of course we're going to make them go inside the monster's lair. Why would it come out? So you're saying there's just a lot more tension we can build into this thing with some horror elements. Well, like we've talked before, you know, we've touched on the setup to really good horror. And the point is you have to pay it off. All of the setup is what makes the monster terrifying. So again, if we just drop this thing in a field, it's going to fall flat. If we build up to it and make the players anticipate it and not necessarily know that they're fighting a chimera until they finally see it, then we can really nail it. And you and I have talked about this at length in our three-parter, The Bones of Horror, but I mean, we've used that same system time and time again to help us frame the setup from establishing what normal feels like, peaceful, idyllic, all the way to set up unease and dread and then straight through to horror or the final reveal of the monster. Right, so let's get into that. We always need to start with some kind of a, a simple adventure premise to help us build that tension. The mayor did it, is the common one. For yeah. <laughs> the mayor is always behind it. Hook and chance classic, the mayor did it. And this mayor, like whatever details you use for your game world, obviously you do that, you're the DM. But I mean... A basic framework could just be based on that mythology. The ruler wants to kill you, the party, by sending you after the unkillable monster, the Chimera. I love that because, again, we're using the mayor did it, uh, but we're also drawing from the mythology. 
But that aspect, like that dynamic between the players and this king or ruler or something like that, they don't like you. The only way to really, if they were to outright attack you, then that makes them look bad. But if they implore you, oh, please be the hero. Yeah. We need you. Go and kill this unkillable monster. Well, you'd be an asshole to turn it down. <laughs> and they hopefully uh, get you killed in the process. What a brilliant plan. Yeah, absolutely. Probably after you've gained a little hype as the party in the community, whatever it is. Right. Hey, these guys are heroes. Woo. <laughs> I think something that could add a lot of tactics to that fight and also kind of leans into the mythology could be like a situation where the chimera actually is invincible in D&D, but going to fight it, the party knows that they've been told by an NPC or something like that, that there's a ritual that they can cast on a weapon, like an arrow, that will make it invincible. Like if they hit this <laughs> thing at the right time, then this arrow will temporarily make it so that the chimera is as it appears in the stat block. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's something that we can do to make sure that the creature is, you know, regenerating or something like that. So they can, they can even have several fights with it, but to try and attack it off that hop and they're doing some damage to it, but they just can't kill it. And maybe like you said, it makes that thing, the, the ritual, creates some kind of weakness and then we can cast that ritual but it all depends on which one is the dominant creature at that time right so you're saying that you could have you know a ritual for dragons one for lions and one for goats and you would have to time your hits to actually line up with whatever animal behavior is the most dominant right so there we've got some tactics involved now they're gonna have to uh, yeah, suss out what it is. They're going to try and whittle it down, but that killing blow can only be made by either an enchanted weapon that they've enchanted with this ritual that we're discussing, or, you know, you could have multiple players get their weapons enchanted for that right creature, and only that person can deliver the killing blow, which makes it that much more challenging strategically in the fight. And yeah. we're going to create even more chaos by doing something like that. And I think another restriction to throw on that is to have the ritual or the enchantment only last for a short period of time so that they got to cast it like either at the very beginning or during the fight. They can't just cast them all back in town. And I love during the fight. Yeah. Like two rounds to cast it as a ritual. We could take that approach if we were going to, you know, enchant a single weapon and say like, this is the one weapon that was going to kill it. If we were going to do three then we could say that that ritual has to be cast within the hour or something like that. Yeah. You don't want to make it overly complicated. And, you know, if you don't want to take any players out of the fight, you have the squishy town wizard come with you to cast Ooh. the rituals. Then you got to protect them. Yes. Now there's some dynamism in that combat. Yeah. You've got keep the chimera back. You got protect the wizard that's doing the enchantment. Then you've got you know, try and predict which head it is that's in current control. Yeah. I love I love all of those facets. That's a way more interesting combat. So we got to start by building up to it a little bit. So the normal that we start with is going to be back in whatever community it is. You're going to have 
I think that we play up the animals of the chimera a little bit, do some foreshadowing. I like that because if we have them walking through town, that's a great way to A, like you say, foreshadow, and then B, remind them that that's going to play a role in right. this eventual fight. So you get an opportunity like a circus is in town and there's a lion present and that lion is stalking something in its cage or in its enclosure. Yeah. And as you supply up, maybe the supplier, the town merchant is a goat farmer and they're, you know, you're watching these goats do crazy things as you're trying to barter and deal with this. Well, all three of them, I wonder if the players would pick up on that. If you did pepper in these three details about the three monsters and show them what it looks like when these three creatures individually attack something. Yeah. So you got the goat butting something. You got like a, a gator, or a crocodile or a Komodo dragon or something like that doing like a pounce attack and laying in wait. And then you've got the lion stalking something. Yeah. So circuses in town, you get to lay out all of that and you get to foreshadow it. And then you're going to use that to show exactly which head is in control at the end. Right. Doing callbacks, essentially, to what you mentioned earlier. Right. All right. So let's build up to unease. Now, the, the ruler has suggested that there's a monster out there that's killing people. Yeah. It's killing livestock. We don't know what it is. We've had trackers try and track it, but it's really inconsistent. We see... I th we think it's a lion based on the, the paw prints, but for some reason we're hearing all kinds of other noises and, and nobody has survived to tell the tale. Well, yeah, totally. We've sent people out to fight it. They haven't come back. Right. And maybe, you know, you can use that squishy town NPC wizard to show you a scene that they managed to get from scrying, but much like a modern tech show, they're like, you know, it didn't really work out. Uh, my spell kind of half crapped out on me. But uh, here's a bit of a hologram showing just the fighter, not the monster. <laughs> oh, you know, within the scrying spell, you can cast that on like a location. If you're not sure what you're trying to be looking at, you're just trying to get a sense of what's inside the cave. Yeah. So then you're just getting the audio. And then you hear the fighter or whoever they sent last going in there screaming bloody murder. It's unkillable. Yeah. And then you hear the disgusting retching sound of, you know, claws or something like that disemboweling them. And then his like bloodied face just slaps down right where the scry was cast. Yeah. That kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's the it's the security camera footage. Yeah. Trope. <laughs> totally. I'm going to use that more. Wizard security camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we need to get into Dread. Right. So this is where they're getting closer to the hunting grounds or lair. The party's going to start to see these foreboding clues as to what the creature is and what it's done. We can have the ranger look at some of the bodies, try and do a, you know, a bit of an autopsy on it and say, oh, this thing was like bludgeoned to death. Right. And also has multiple teeth patterns. What bludgeons, bites lacerates <laughs> this is strange yeah and it's been burned yeah, yeah, yeah i like that i say you throw in some blood trails from the chimera occasionally attacking itself like there's not even a victim it's just the dragon just chomps the goat Ooh. neck and it's like fuck off <laughs> i like that yeah so there's just like no body oh there you go it's flying yeah 
No body, no tracks, just blood all over the grasses on your way there. Yeah. And I actually rethinking that it starts with the goat just randomly butting <laughs> either the lion or the dragon. Of course, because the goat's the dickhead. Yeah. It's uh, goats are notorious. Jordan and I grew up with goats and they're just they're idiots. And the the males are generally kind of cranky and they just want to fuck with you. Like yeah. they just want to headbutt. They go from just peacefully eating grass to trying to take out your knees in a half a second. <laughs> so the goat is definitely the instigator. The dragon follows it. The dragon ends it every time. Yeah. And of course, I think you're going to have prey all over the place that's half eaten because you know the lion or the dragon starts with a predatory move and then the goat pulls it away like the goat's just like i'm fucking out of here and they leave something with like two bites taken out of it so it's like this this predator isn't a normal predator well and i think we even need to see as a part of that you know juxtaposition on their route out to the cave i feel like the players need to see a normal creature so like they're thinking they're getting closer and then we throw an owl bear at them or something like that. And they go, oh, was this the monster? Right. That was kind of anticlimactic. You know, they continue to find these telltale signs of something much bigger. No, the, the, the attack pattern doesn't match. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. We soften them up a bit with some normal creatures of the wood. Oh, of course. And I think something pretty creepy and terrifying to me is the fact that you know, the description for the chimera in the monster manual says that they toy with their prey a bit. And I'm thinking maybe it leaves some of its prey on the edge of death in that toying, whether intentionally or accidentally. But like maybe they jam them into some hard to escape places some crevices in the rocks and their caves. It's like pretty gruesome. Yeah. To have the corpse of something fall from the sky. Yeah. What it is, is hard to see because it's, you know, blocked by the sun or something like that you can't quite see it through all of the the sun in your eyes but to have you know something fall down a, a full-sized owl bear yeah and go oh this is definitely not it what like what was that it's something that flies now now we're building up that tension and we're still telling the players what it can do and that is really our job as the dm is to forebode is to lay all of the foundation. It's up to them to figure it out. But now they know that it flies, that it has several different attack patterns. If they haven't figured out it's a chimera, if they're unsure, it's going to be revealed to them fairly shortly. Yeah, well, I like that too, because that could tie in with your owlbear fight. Is It's it's a bit easier of an owlbear fight because it just fell out of the sky. <laughs> right. It's still alive. But... It's now, it's a wounded, yeah. you know, mutilated owlbear, but it's got enough fight left in it to, to fuck them up a little bit. Yeah. I love that. And they're just like, well, this clearly isn't what we're after. <laughs> well, then we need to get into the terror piece. So this is, you know, they got a glimpse of something in the sky, but now we need to lean into it a little bit more to really ramp it up. And here's a little something to inspire your descriptions of the sounds that a chimera could make. First of all, lion roars are produced from vocal folds vibrating and apparently is scientifically similar to a baby's cry for attention, just a bit deeper. Ew. And by a bit, I, bet I mean obviously a lot deeper. 
that is a just a spine chilling. <laughs> the thought is unsettling. Uh, it's very unsettling. And then you got the fact that goat bleats and screams are pretty distinctive. They can even sound like a human scream if you've ever heard a goat like do that cry. If you I heard that in the night, don't because I know exactly what you're talking about, and I will not be able to sleep tonight. Ugh, <laughs> oh, that's upsetting. Deeply. Yeah. Look that one up. So I'm imagining, you know, those sounds mixing together. Wires getting crossed. Maybe it's not even the right throats that are making the sounds. Yeah, so throwing in a mix. So honestly, if I was running this encounter, my first stop would be online to see if there's any YouTube sound effects or anything that i can use that would allow for some mix of those three and to be able to like layer those on top of one another i'm certain yeah i'm certain that somebody's done it yeah that'd be really cool with the terror this is the best part and this is the reason that i really love having monsters exist in caves and kind of going back to my problems with simply dropping a monster in the middle of the field uh, of saying, oh, no, it's a chimera attack uh, roll for initiative is that the crossing the threshold moment is so, so important. This is kind of where D&D came from with like dungeon crawls. Every new door that you go into has some level of terror and dread attached to it. And so the players choosing to enter the mouth of the cave, that is the crossing the threshold moment. That is the moment that A, they know that they're about to get into the shit. They know it's coming. It has to be. Yeah. They're inside the monster's lair. And secondly, them choosing to do so of their own free will and volition, that is what makes them heroes. They are heroic because they're going into that cave bravely. Yeah. And of course, getting into that cave leads to the final part of horror, which is the monster reveal. And for me, if you'll permit, I would definitely build this cave in such a way that it has the ability to use its flight because that's a massive asset for the Chimera and it needs to be able to fly around in there. It also needs to be able to use some of the crevices to hide. It also needs to be able to fly out of this thing, meaning that there's some kind of uh, you know crack or crevice that goes all the way to the outside that is different than the entrance, which means that when we do reveal our monster, once they are fully inside the cave and they're like, oh, there's nothing here that we know of, like we're finding, we can see its nest or, or it's, uh, you know, we can see all these bones. That's when it strikes from behind because it left and then it came back in through the entrance to stalk them like a lion do. Yeah. Plus dragon. Plus dragon. <laughs> sure. Well, to add on to that description of the cave, I think that it'd be pretty cool to have a couple of levels of cave too. Like as they come in, I'd almost imagine some hallways that once were water channels. Ooh. So it's a bit maze-like, but it goes up really high. They can kind of climb outside of those water channels and it opens up, but then that's really slippery and they have to like jump over the water channels if they want to move around. Love it. Stalactites and mites and big pillars of stone. And I think the final piece here is that we need 
like when we finally hit that monster and we start to roll for initiative again this could very well end up to just be a trading blows super boring now it's actually working against all of the effort that we put into leading up to it now it's just a shot for shot kind of fight so we need to do what a good dm do and build some layers to this encounter so this is basically just us putting together everything we've said so far into three kind of structured stages of a combat and that first stage is going to be as they come into that cave the chimera is going to pop it off with a hopefully for you the dm a stealthy strike from behind you've got that ritual casting that is probably happening for some of the players right now and then as far as tactics like we need to consider the tactics changing in each stage of this combat so with the chimera typically i would go into this and i would say okay this monster it's going to go on the offensive then it's going to go on the defensive and then it's going to flee that's like three separate stages of a combat but with the chimera you've got three separate identities three separate types of attacks three separate approaches to combat so could we play that up play up the chaotic nature of a chimera and say that the goat their attacks is that like the headbutt and then the the fake retreat you know how they kind of do that back up and you're like okay so they're not coming at me and then they follow that up with another headbutt then you've got the dragon which is definitely like hide then attack from above and then you've got the lion which is the stalk and pounce approach. So we can swap those out as fast and loose as we want in every stage of this combat. Right, and pair it with a little bit of flavor of that animal so that the you know the party can pick up on it right. and realize who's leading the charge. So again, the party's defending. They're trying to stay alive while this ritual is cast. Once that's accomplished, we can move into the second stage, which is where the environment changes like, the party's going to have to come out of those channels and kind of get in the open where they can see it. It can't keep hiding from them. Right. And they're probably going to be taking the offensive at this stage in the fight. Like the party has to hit the chimera now with these enchanted items. Yeah. So this thing is like going from some of the different cave formations. It's going from hiding to fighting back to hiding again. And it's really trying to be as chaotic as possible while they are simply trying to hit it with these enchanted weapons. Yeah, and its screams and calls are echoing throughout the cave, of course, hard to pin down. And then we move into that third stage of pure chaos, because this thing probably isn't used to this kind of pain. As soon as it gets hit with that enchanted weapon, it all bets are off. Yeah, so it's probably thrashing about, creating as much chaos as it can. And to hit the point home about goats being already pretty chaotic, I saw a clip when I was looking this stuff up about an escaped goat that sat there bashing its head against a glass door for 20 minutes Jesus! before it finally succeeded in breaking it, and then it just bounded off. What the hell? Oh, it probably <laughs> saw its reflection. It was just like, I'm going to mess that dude up. Yeah. Somehow it knows exactly what I'm about to do, and we keep needing heads every time. Poor goats. Yeah. Just so dumb. <laughs> but anyways, would this thing be doing that half the time in its cave on its own? Like, 
degrading its integrity. Yeah. Smashing into some of the support columns, uh, knocking stalactites and stalagmites over, generally being chaotic. Like you said, this is the chaos phase. Everything. This cave is coming down. Yeah. So you can definitely throw some environmental hazards to the party with that. And their tactics at this point are going to be take it down hard and fast. And I think with all of that, you've got some much more interesting turns to take than just flybys, triple hit, right. fly away. Yeah. Well, I think we have something that I would actually run. This sounds like a lot more fun than simply throwing a chimera at somebody, especially letting them know up front. There's a bit of a mystery. There's a monster hunt. There's some dread. This is way better than I was initially anticipating <laughs> a chimera fight would be like. Yeah. I think we saved it. And if you want to get real wild and weird, make your own chimeras. Ooh, that's right. We could absolutely make our own. Now, I know that you and I wanted to each make one. So does that make this next segment a proving grounds or since we're creating new monsters is that a lamashtu's breeding pit well i think we're gonna pit these against each other and see which one people like more <laughs> so i think it's a proving grounds i don't know i like those uh those slurpy sounds in the beginning of the lamashtu's breeding pit so i guess it's really up to who edits damn it <laughs> This is Lamashtu's breeding pit, where the most vile and deadly of creatures are birthed and unleashed upon doomed adventurers. So this is the last facet of the Chimera that I know you've probably been thinking about this entire time. There's a lot of flexibility. The Chimera is jamming three animals together, and that instantly makes you think, what else could I jam together? Oh, you can jam anything. Jam it all. Yeah. And our patron Leprechaun reminded us on Discord about that Mythic Odysseys of Theros book and it's a mix and match chimera. They actually have some mechanical rules there for DMs to make their own chimeras. It's pretty cool, pretty straightforward, and it works very well. The nice thing about the nice thing about chimeras in that book is that their stats are fairly simple. So if you do have an idea for an animal you want to jam in there, it isn't hard to just give it a new ability, reflavor their attacks, you're good to go. And I mean, we kind of expect the party to figure out what is happening when we start to lay down a chimera. We kind of expect them to piece it together. If we were doing the bludgeoning and the, the gnashing and the scraping and all of that kind of stuff, we're going to lay down some hints. And chances are they're going to come to the conclusion that it's a chimera. If you make your own all bets are off. They are not figuring this shit out. And when they do finally come face to face with it, whatever monstrosity that you've created, it is a holy shit moment. All three <laughs> of these things are in the same body. What in the Sam hell is happening? Yeah. And good God, when you expand from animals to anything in the monster manual, you can cook up some real terrifying creatures really easily. All right. So lay out your chimera for me. So imagine a great serpentine beast covered in mouths that can chuck spit or lightning out of any of these mouths. What? It gibbers telepathically in your mind. It climbs around any environment with its tentacles with ease while also using them to pull you into its constricting snake-like body. How's that? 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> what the hell have you made? I picked up on the mouther, the gibbering mouther in there somewhere. Yeah. The gibbering mouther is that first of the three, which gives it the ability to gibber. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it gives it blinding spittle and the extra mouths, of course. Yeah. And you got the otiug which gives it tentacles and telepathy. And I just thought the telepathy and the gibbering was a great little one-two combo. Oh, yeah. That's a terrifying <laughs> prospect. And then I threw a Bahir on there because that's the giant uh, snake yep. uh, that can swallow. It has lightning breath. It can constrict you, and it can climb. Wow. So this thing just darting around the environment, causing maximum, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I like that. That is That is something else. Well, well done. I'm a little worried that I didn't go as buck wild, but we'll see. So imagine a creature that not only has a burrow ability and it's slithering around through the ground, but then it busts up and flies and then speaks within your mind and starts casting spells on you. Mostly good spells. Okay, I made a weird one. All right. <laughs> Mostly good spells. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's about jamming together things that shouldn't be jammed. Right. Don't jam that. So first, and the primary one here, is the coaddle. So intelligent, questionably good. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a good creature, technically. Weird choice. Yeah. Uh, but... Kind of like the dragon head, it's this like serpentine creature with wings, and we've got a grapple constrict ability, we've got true sight, it can cast sanctuary on itself, it's got a shielded mind from your casters within the party, uh-huh. and it has telepathy. Yeah, I mean, a monster slinging all that would be pretty weird. So then you roll it into the basilisk which has the ability to petrify rough and it has poison damage. And then you throw an ank egg back in there. So now you have an acid spray, a burrow speed and tremor sense. Yeah. And what makes this a truly terrifying thing. And again, granted it's good. However, the party is generally kind of bad. So I really don't see it being a problem to have one versus the other. Yeah. And the other two are really kind of unaligned. So whatever the Coatl wants to do is, right. you know, it, it's in charge for the most part. But where this gets truly terrifying is going back to the Coatl, it's shape-changing ability. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. So what does that mean? It's just whatever it wants to be anytime? Well, until it reveals its true form to you, it looks like an NPC. <laughs> wow, so you've created a doppelganger of nightmares. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, who wins? Uh, I guess you got to tell us. Do you like, would you use Jordan's Chimera? Chimera A or Travis's Chimera, Chimera B against your party? Which one do you think is more formidable? Which one do you think would win in a fight? Yeah. Chimera fight. 
They would both absolutely kill the original Chimera. Let's agree to that. <laughs> that Chimera is dead. Yes, 100%. So let us know what you think. You can either hop into our Discord uh, or or just leave a comment. Uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube or any of the other places, feel free. Leave a comment, leave a like, whatever. Um, but let us know which one you think would win and which one would definitely mop the floor with your party. Yeah. Thank you so much to our patrons for letting us have this compelling chimera conversation. They themselves are a many-headed beast. Yeah. Thank you very much to Peacock Dreams, DM Thunderbomb, Marley R, Gar the Pirate, Time Warp, Nico Y, Zach G, No Ma'am, Michelle T, Alan E, Felix R, Chris F, The Senate, Lucas D, The The, the GM Tim, Nevermore, Thomas W, Ty N, Heavy Arms, Eric R, Aldrus, Leprechaun, and Will HP. Thank you all so, so much. You make it possible. You make the dream work. Thanks also to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Join an awesome community of players and DMs by joining that Discord. Let us know who won. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and never trust games. a goat. <laughs> They're the deadliest of the three. Oh,